I don't know how this uh, got started in our culture, but have you ever noticed there's kind of this expectation when uh, someone is doing a marriage proposal that is supposed to be like cool and creative and kind of out of the ordinary and things like that? Uh, and so I, I found a list of creative ways that people engage or people get engaged or people kind of pop the question. And by the way, ladies, if you see your man kind of taking notes, man, that might be a sign. I don't know. But anyway, anyway, maybe he's planning for later. But uh, here's a couple of things that uh, people have done to uh, propose marriage. First of all, somebody did a scavenger hunt. They did a scavenger hunt and it ends with uh, uh, their girlfriend finding the ring and maybe having somebody taking a picture there right when it's over. That'd be kind of cool, wouldn't it? I mean, that'd be kind of neat. Uh, another person said you could spell out your proposal somewhere kind of different. You know, uh, somebody said, well, maybe you could get permission from her parents and go there in her room, there at her house, and take some of those glow stars or whatever, you know, you put on the ceiling and kind of put, will you marry me? And then when she goes to bed that night, she looks up and says, oh, you know, and you're waiting outside. And I mean, that would be cool, wouldn't it? That'd be kind of neat. Somebody said uh, maybe uh, rent uh, one of the screens at the movie theater. You can, uh, you know, kind of advertisements, companies do that. And so you could go to a movie together. Just make sure you get there on time to see all the early stuff. But, uh, uh, and then somebody else said if your uh, girlfriend uh, flies a lot, that uh, you could be at the airport, you could be there with her family, with her friends. You could have some signs up that says, will you marry? And you be holding to make sure you got the right one. Me. You know, arrow pointing down at you. And then actually, I, I read this, but this was actually the one that I did in, in uh, proposing to Shannon. You could plan a trip. You could blindfold her. You could kind of take a crazy route where she wouldn't figure out where you're going. Go to some special spot. You know, take her there. Sit her down. Get down on your knee. Ask her to take the blindfold off. And then, you know, pop the big question. By the way, I would just say this. Uh, if you are going to take a crazy route to confuse her, Make sure you don't do like me and get lost, okay? So, <laughs> Shannon was like, I'm about to throw up, Rob. You know, can I please take this blindfold off? I said, we're almost there, we're almost there. This is really important. But, you know, it's kind of neat when you see uh, young couples. They're kind of, you know, just getting engaged and excited about things. And there's so much excitement. And there's so much promise. And there's so much hope. But as we've talked about in our series, Marriage 911. Really, life, the reality of life, the things that we have to deal with in life can wear on us after a while. They can really, we started with all that hope and all that enthusiasm, and a lot of times that can be worn out after a while. And so over the last few weeks, we've just been talking about what are some of the things that maybe would help us to, to improve that, to get us back to that place. And I, I, I want to encourage you, I hope that you're using some of those things Especially guys, okay? I hope, you're, I hope you bought you a little teddy bear this week with I love you on it, all right? Anybody? One of our guys said he did, okay? Anybody? All right, so some of the guys need to get to work here. But, uh, you know, maybe you're using some of those things. I want to encourage you. The things that we're going to learn about tonight, to, to put those things into practice. But the reality is, many couples have gotten to the point of really having no hope for their lives together. That's what we're going to focus on tonight as we study God's Word. What do we do when we've lost any hope that we ever had for our marriage together? When we did our surveys, um, we asked you to ask us some questions, maybe some things that you would want to know or talk about for marriage. And many people ask this question, how do you love when it's hard? Many people ask that. In fact, one person said, 
How do you not kill each other? Now, I wouldn't recommend that, okay? That's kind of not where we want to go with this. But the Lord does give us some answers for what do you do when life gets hard together. And first of all, I want to talk about this. By the way, I want to say as we start out, I want you to notice that the things we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about for you. We're not going to talk about your spouse. Everything we're going to talk about tonight is not for the other person, it's for me. God, what would you say to me? And we'll just have to trust God to speak to that other person. Amen? So let's start by first of all talking about the incredible need that we have, really in all relationships, to give some grace. Give some slack. Cut somebody some slack sometimes. Now, if you're here tonight and you are in one of those dire 911 marriage situations, right? You say, what? I mean, I'm just already ready to go home, okay? If you're going to tell me that this situation is difficult and I've got to do something more, but listen, what I want to say to you tonight is there's a lot of things that maybe need to happen in your marriage, but if you even want to hope for a better outcome in your relationship, That cannot start until you and I begin seeing our spouse much like God sees us. And so I want to read to you, first of all, from Matthew 18, verses 21 through 35. The Bible says, Then Peter came and said to him, said to Jesus, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Isn't that a good question? How often should someone do something that hurts me and I forgive him? That's a great question. He says, up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Jesus said, for this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle his accounts with his slaves or his servants. When he had begun to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Now, I want you to understand, a talent during that time was 15 years worth of wages. And so this person owed 10,000 talents. I figured it up. If the average lifetime was roughly 75 years, we're talking about this person owed 2,000 lifetimes worth of wages. And actually, it kind of helps us to understand it better when you realize that the, 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 the number 10,000 was the highest number that they had in that language, in the Greek language. And so really what it's getting to here is if you had to live 2,000 lifetimes to pay a debt, basically, I can't pay it, right? That's what he's talking about. This is, the, they used the number, they said this is the highest number. Well, you can't conceive of this amount really. It's just an amount that's unpayable for someone. So that's what the debt the guy had. But since he did not have the means to repay, and we all say, well, sure, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had and repayment to be made. So the servant or slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before him. He fell before him and said, have patience with me and I will repay you everything, which, by the way, wasn't true, right? I mean, the guy's just saying, please, give me a break here and and I'll, I'll do everything that I can to make it up to you. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. Everybody would have gasped and said, wow, good night. But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. Now, a denarii was one day's wages. So a hundred denarii is about three months worth of wages. Three months worth of wages, I'm not saying that's nothing, amen? 
I mean, if somebody owed you what took you three months to make and pay, wouldn't you say, hey, you know, I kind of need that back, right? So it's not saying it's, it's not a big deal, but it certainly wasn't 2,000 lifetimes worth of wages. So there was a guy that owed him that. And what did that slave do? He seized the other guy and began to choke him, saying, pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him much the way that he had with his boss, saying, have patience with me and I'll repay you. But he was unwilling and went and threw him into prison until he should pay back all that was owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, you wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? And his Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him, which he never could. My heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. So here's the point, obviously, that the Lord is trying to make. He said, if somebody does wrong to me, I'm to be willing to forgive them. How many times? 470 times 7 is what? 490 times. Now listen, to the Jewish people, 3 would have been enough. Okay, that number meant enough. 4 would have meant more than enough. You did extra. 7 would have meant kind of a perfect, wow. Jesus just really knocked it out of the park, didn't he? He said, I'm not talking about 3, I'm not talking about 4. I'm not talking about seven. I'm talking about 70 times seven. What is Jesus trying to say to us? We are to forgive no matter what the debt amount is. Basically, he's saying we should never stop forgiving one another. Isn't that the point? That would especially be true of the person we call our spouse. So I want to encourage you. You've got it there in your notes. I want to encourage you to think, to star there, that number, 491. 491. What, and when you say, I want you to maybe, maybe you need to write on somewhere on your rearview mirror or at home or something like that. And whenever your spouse is being a knucklehead, you just need to say 491. Amen? Basically, and counting is what he's trying to say. Okay, I'm willing to forgive on and on and on. I'm never going to stop forgiving this person. Now, I know, I get it. You would say tonight, but you don't know. My spouse, my spouse is the most difficult person you've ever seen to get along with. And you know what? If we were in court tonight, we might agree with you. We might say he is a jerk or she is hard to get along with. We might say that person is guilty. Well, what God is trying to say to us, he's not trying to minimize the offenses. He's not trying to minimize what someone has done that is wrong. What he's trying to do is to get us to a place in life, all of us, that no matter what situation we're in, no matter who it is or what they've done, we would be willing to give grace. We would be willing to forgive anyone. And you would think especially the person we've committed our life to called our spouse. And listen, this is not talking about ignoring reality and, and being a doormat for someone else. In fact, someone made this statement. They said, forgiveness is granted, but trust is earned. Okay? 
So there's, there's dynamics that go on in terms of healthy relationship and, and working back to the right place and things like that. That's not, it's not saying to be dumb. It's not saying, certainly, the Bible is not saying that someone should be abused or taken advantage in those, in those kind of ways. It's saying to us that God wants us to get to a place where we would deal with everyone, including our spouse, like God has dealt with me. I was in a message a few years ago, a service. And this was it. This is what got me. I had the right to be upset. You would agree if you heard my story. I'm not just saying that. You would agree. I'm I'm sure you would agree. I had the right. And you could not talk me out of it. But I, I don't know what to do with that cross. And... All that he's done for me. I can't get away from that. Do you hear me tonight? Have you ever read Ephesians chapter 4 verse 32? One sweet lady in our church made a plate for our family that sits in our house with this verse. I want you to read it along with me as as I read it. You read the part that's underlined there. Start out for me. Be kind to one. I love these verses. I love this verse. Be kind to one another. Tender hearted. Forgiving each other. How? Just as God also in Christ has forgiven you. And friend, how has God forgiven you? How much has God offered to forgive you? If you put your trust in Him, if you've received that gift, do I realize that's the point? I've got to get to the point where I'm no longer looking at any other person. I'm looking at God and I can't help it. I want to be mad. Amen? I want to say, but listen, but I can't help it. Before him, I just, I can't, I can't do that with what he has offered to me. Amen? Someone said, there are no enduring relationships without forgiveness. We need to hear that. There are no enduring relationships without forgiveness. It's why many of us have never stayed in a church for very long. It's why many of us don't stay in jobs for very long. It's why many of us maybe have not been in relationships for very long before we move on. Because there are too many ways that we as people hurt each other. Isn't that true? Give it some time. No matter who it is and how sweet you think they are, they're going to hurt your feelings or they're going to do something you couldn't believe or you didn't expect. And you're going to have to give them some grace if that relationship is going to continue. Now, if you really are in a tough situation right now, you might be so on edge. And and trust me, I get that. I understand that. That you may not receive this, and you may write it off. You might say, oh, sure, Pastor Robbie, you're just like my spouse. And and I feel like, you know what, you're just saying, it's all my fault, and I've got to do all the work, and I'm tired of that, and I'm not going to listen to that. That is not what we're saying. Your spouse probably does need a lot of work. You can say amen, unless they're here. Okay. Then you might just say, hmm, okay, don't say much. But I'm just challenging you. You have something in this, right? You have some responsibility in this. And is it possible that this is something that you can control? There's a lot I can't control. And that's usually what I focus on. But God's saying, what can you control? And you can control this attitude with God's help. We've been hearing from some of the couples in our church family about some of the things we've been going through 
Listen to some encouragement that some other couples gave about this matter of forgiveness. So far, we're just in the warm-up. Uh, out I was going to say, when does it get easier? <laughs> some things do get easier, and other things are still a work in progress. Um, some of the things that I found that was easier on have actually gotten harder now. Um, in our relationship that didn't bother me back in the beginning that are now bothering me more than they did back then but um how do you deal how do you deal with that how do you she tells me to roll over and don't snore <laughs> no oh no <laughs> well you know at first I wanted to change him I thought okay I'm going to change him I've, I'll you know and um, it wasn't working. So then I got some wisdom from my oldest daughter, and she said, Mom, did you ever think about changing yourself? And um, she um, texted me a scripture, which I wish I remembered it, but I don't. And um, I looked it up, and um, I started looking at me instead of looking at his faults and so forth, and knew that they were things that I was able to deal with back in the day. Um, why does it bother me now? And I just started to um, pray about it and um, dig deeper into my devotional time. And um, still a work in progress, but it's getting easier. And we have found that there's things that the same things that bothered us before we're looking at differently and um, giving each other more grace and kindness than uh, than we had before. So some of the things haven't changed at all. And as you said, changing how I look at it or just not letting it bother me or just him not letting it bother him. And um, So life's, marriage is much sweeter when you're like you said, you're not fighting and you have your friend with you versus um, that constant nagging or that constant, you know, separation from each other. And so everything, I, there's times that I don't know why it doesn't bother me more than it does. And it really surprises me that I can just let things go that before would have caused that rift or caused those malicious silences or those heated discussions and um, that we can now let go. Wow, just, uh, I just can't get away from uh, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ has forgiven you. Both of those couples talked about giving your spouse, giving that other person room to grow. If you're that person, isn't it nice for somebody to give you a little space, give you a little grace? God's still working on me to make me the person I ought to be. Amen, you know that little thing? Can somebody believe in me and give me that grace and let me grow? And, and they both focused on, you know, focusing on letting God grow you. And that's really what I want to talk about next. Uh, second thing tonight is focusing on holiness more than happiness. Now, what we're about to discuss is something that the Lord's really been showing me about mirrors that really was kind of a new idea to me, but I think is really powerful. I do want to say this. Initially, if you're that person who's struggling right now, you're going to be like, man, I'm ready to leave again, okay? Okay, I mean, good grief, you know. 
But if you'll listen, if you'll hear this out and let God speak to you, listen, it could change not only your marriage, it could truly, I believe, transform your life tonight. And so I want to read a couple of passages. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. And you read the part that's up uh, underlined. It says, for this is the will of God. Wait just a second, don't read the rest. If you knew there was a passage in the Bible that said, this is God's will for you, wouldn't you say, where's that at, Pastor Robbie? Well, 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 3 gives one of those. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. Hmm. I need to let that soak in tonight. First of all, what is sanctification? Sanctification means to become more holy. And, and maybe a better way that, that helps me kind of put feet to it Sanctification, becoming more holy, means that I'm becoming more like Christ. Okay? And my life is resembling more and more Jesus. As I'm living, there's less and less Robbie. Amen? Does anybody want some of that? Amen? Not less and less Robbie. Don't say amen to that. That's not nice. <laughs> there's less and less you. Fill in the blank, whoever we are. But, but isn't that what we'd like to see? Isn't it more blessed when God comes out of me? And that is God's will for you. Your sanctification, your holiness, you becoming more like Christ. Romans chapter 8, verse 29 says this, For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son. That's kind of a big picture verse that is basically saying this, It has been God's plan all along to shape you to be more and more like Jesus. Wow. And that happens even in and maybe especially in difficult situations in our lives. So listen to this. This is the kicker here. One marriage author put it like this. What if God designed marriage to make us holy more than to make us happy? Hmm. And by holy, remember, what are we saying? What if God designed this relationship to make me more like who? More like Jesus. What if that was God's intention and God's focus? So I want to think about that. Because you know what? Every couple I've ever known got married because it makes me happy, right? This is, I mean, Shannon and I, we got married because, you know, we're walking with the Lord, and I, I love the Lord, and you love the Lord, and this is, you know, this is what we believe. We're going to enjoy life together, and this is great. But is it possible that we've all been entering marriage? Not, I'm not saying it can't be happy, okay? Happy's good, right? I like happy. Let's have some more happy. But maybe that shouldn't be our focus. Maybe that shouldn't be our primary expectation. Yes, it's exciting. Yes, it feels great sometimes. Yes, it can bring joy and blessing to our lives. Yes, potentially we can see a lot of great things together and have a lot of great things to look forward to. But if we're primarily entering this relationship because it makes us feel good, please don't miss this. It could save a lot of time for somebody here tonight and pain. If we're entering this relationship because it really works for me or because it makes my life better, (laughs) you're going to be disappointed a decent amount of the time. Amen? There's some work. And, and, And you know what? If you think about it, much of marriage is me serving 
my spouse so she can grow and be better. And the other part of it is God using her as his instrument in my life so I can grow and be better, which is not always fun, right? Now, I'm not trying to take all the mystery or the romance or the allure out of it. I think we had plenty of that last week, okay? We talked about that stuff, right? Just refer to Song of Solomon, lots of verses, all right? But as a follower of Christ, what I need to realize is that my spouse, she is my greatest ministry assignment in life. Did you hear that? She is my primary ministry and focus. For God working through me in any individual in this whole world, she's the number one. And God wants to use her as his primary instrument in my life to do whatever he's wanting to do in my life. And so I want you to think about it. What if marriage was meant to make you holy or more like Christ more than it was meant to make you happy? Now listen to this. The same author said this. Are you listening? If we are serious about growing spiritually, this is going to be a uh-oh, all right? We must convince ourselves to refrain from asking the spiritually dangerous question, did I marry the right person? He says, if we're going to grow spiritually, you have to make a decision tonight. I will no longer ask that question. When the enemy comes along and tempts me with, did I marry the right person? He said, once you have exchanged vows... Little can be gained by ruminating on that question. That just means bringing it back up over and over again. And I heard another Christian counselor say this when someone asked her that question. Listen, I'm telling you the information. I'm, I'm sharing my story with you. And man, isn't it really bad? And this person said to that counselor, did I marry the right person? Listen to this. I love the answer. That counselor says, yes, you did. You've already made that decision. Now they are the right person for you. Now, let's see what God is wanting to do in your life and in your lives together. That was a good answer, wasn't it? Did I marry the right person? Well, are you married? Yes. Yes, you married the right person. That person sitting next to you is, without a doubt, unequivocally, the right person for your life. It's already been decided. So don't go there. Amen? So let's bring that back around to you and your marriage today. We're not saying, listen, we're not saying marriage is just going to be bad. But guess what? You'll grow. You'll grow. You'll see some good fruit in your life. That's not what we're saying. We're saying we've had several weeks worth. And tonight, God's showing us some other things. But we've had several weeks of here's some things we can think about. Here's some things we can work on. And by the way, I truly believe. You know, I was joking earlier about is anybody putting this into practice? I believe some of you are. And I hope many of us are. I truly believe if we take what we've been learning seriously, even just a couple of nuggets, I truly believe we're going to see some major things in our marriages, in our church family. Okay? So it's not saying, hey, it's going to be terrible, but you're going to grow. That's not what it's saying. God is saying, I've got some incredible possibilities for you. But listen, if it is really bad, you need to begin to have this perspective, holy over happy. Here's another way we could do it. Listen. If you shoot for happy, it will not make you holy. But if you shoot for holy, it will get you to being happy. I believe that. 
And some of you tonight still won't receive that. Some of you tonight say, I don't care what you say, Pastor Robbie. I don't care how many verses you read. I just have a lousy situation. All I can say to you is, so are you going to trust God? Are you going to trust God that His Word is true? And if you trust Him and follow Him, that He will take care of you and He will lead your life. And that's the last thing I want to talk about, having hope for the future. Having hope for the future. Isn't that what some of us need tonight? Right out to the side of that statement. Having hope in the future, right out to the side of that, in Christ. Okay? Because that means everything. Again, I want to give you something here that not only relates to an extremely difficult marriage, but I want to give you something that really impacts every other aspect of your life. The Bible talks about us being in Christ. Okay? What does it mean to be in Christ? I've been saved. I've been forgiven. I'm a child of God. I'm covered. The blood of Christ has washed away all my sins. I am in Christ. I am safe. I am protected. I am uh, secure. I've got reservations in heaven. It means a lot of stuff, doesn't it? To be in Christ, there's a lot in this book that God says about what it means to be in Christ. A lot of promises. But I want you to pay close attention and let this sink in what I'm about to say. Even though there are some absolutely unbearable situations in life. Are there not? Are there not? There are some things that just... I'm drowning. Anybody? I cannot keep my head above. This next time going under, I think will be my last. Okay, we have those things, don't we? And, and much of that happens before we come to know the Lord. But even after we begin our walk with God, there are some sucker punches, aren't there? To the gut that take us down. And we, the count is to nine. And when they get to ten, it's over. But I want to encourage you tonight. No matter how bad any situation in your life ever becomes, please grab a hold of this. There is always great hope for a child of God. And I need the band to start playing and a cymbal to slap and something to get excited. Amen? Is anybody? All right, let's read some verses. Psalm 27, verse 13. Maybe this describes you tonight. I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Might need to hear that tonight. I would be depressed, distressed. I would go under. I would be, I could never get up. I would have that gut punch that I would never recover from if I wasn't convinced that I will, I shall see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Amen? Dear God, I need that. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. God says, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. And he kind of, he when he says things, it means something, right? So when God declares something, plans for welfare, for good things, and not for calamity, not for bad things, I've got plans to give you a future and a hope. There is always hope for those who are in Christ. And then Romans chapter 8, verses 31 and 32. It says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? Who could possibly be against us? 
He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him over for us all, how will He not also with Him freely give us all things? I love that freely and all. Because you know what? Sometimes I'm just hoping maybe God will kind of help me. Amen? It's so bad. I just like to get a glimpse of decent. But that, you get the impression in Romans chapter 8 that God's not wanting to just kind of give you some crumbs. God is wanting to mightily help us. In verse 35, who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation, this is all by the way, actually every one of these I say with the come after it, you say no, okay? Will tribulation? Will distress? Will persecution? Will famine? Nakedness? Or peril? Or sword? You can stop there. Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Basically, that's just uh, verses that are saying life is hard for us. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through Him who loved us. There's another. I need a symbol. I need somebody to jump up and say, Yeehaw, something, people. Don't have your arms crossed. Something. Amen? Amen. (laughs) For I am convinced that neither death, shoot me, I'm going to heaven, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, all the bad guys, all the really bad guys, all the really big powerful bad guys, nor things today, nor things in the future, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing, paraphrase paraphrase for me, Nothing, right? Nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now sometimes the band does party at the end. We should have party at the end on that. Let me just share these verses that certainly relate to our marriage relationship. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 7 and 8. It says, Love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. Love endures all things. Love never fails. And actually, that can be translated, love not even once fails. Hmm. Isn't that good news? So all these verses assure us that in the darkest hours of your life, that God, there is never a moment that God is not with you. And there's so much we could say about that. We don't have time tonight. There's, there's never a moment God's not with you. There's never a doubt that there is a future and a hope for your life if you're found in Jesus Christ. So you've heard me say before, if it is the pitchest dark that you've ever seen in your life, you're scared to death, you don't know which way to turn, you ought to get just a little grin on your face because you say, I know God is about to break through somewhere. And I just am really interested which direction it's going to come from. Amen? That's the way children of the King ought to think. I cannot promise you your situation will change. I cannot promise you that your spouse will get better. But in Christ, you have the most hope that that spouse will get better. And certainly you have the promise that God is with you and that He is good He's even, as you get to know Him, better than you thought. Amen? And so I have a future. And I have a hope. It may look bad now, but you just wait and see me later. Because I'm in Christ. And we have the hope. If nothing else, I'm skipping out of this place eventually. I'm done. I'm going to my rest with my Lord forever and ever. 
few weeks ago, I saw this post from an old high school friend on my newsfeed on Facebook. Listen to what she said. She said, I'm so thankful that God has blessed me with a companion that loves the Lord. He is my best friend. Those that know us, though, know that if that we were generously given a do-over. We married too young and were too irresponsible. Our marriage failed and we divorced because we did not put God first in our lives and in our marriage. Luckily, God had a bigger plan and we were reunited five years later and were given another chance. This time, I'm able to say I married my best friend again. I love him with all my heart and soul because I love God first. God is the root of all that is good and powerful, and through Him, our marriage is rock solid. And as long as we seek Him, He will continue to bless our family. I stand in awe every day at all the blessings I've received. Wow, I remember her from high school. I hadn't talked to her about that, but wow. I hope that tonight, that statement gives you hope. I hope that tonight... That, that you would see that it is possible for God to save your marriage. You know what? Listen, this is, not the, this is not the thing we want to hear. It's possible that God's going to save your marriage through you taking seriously the things we've talked about the last few weeks and your spouse seeing that lived out in real life. It's possible that you know what you and your spouse need? Sometimes we, one or both of us, or probably both of us together, need a plan. We need someone to help us navigate through this. And thank God for some good Christian counselors that can kind of say, okay, here's, here's how God's wired us, and here's wisdom, and here's how some of these things happen, and, and to help us to develop that kind of plan. Maybe, maybe that's all you need is just a plan for how do we get from where we are to the place we need to be. It's possible that the main thing you need is support. You need church family. You need to get in a group. You need to get involved in a ministry. Or you need to start having some people around you that can pray for you and support you possible God could save your marriage. Listen, even if your spouse doesn't cooperate, if you're in Christ, you have a future and a hope. I don't know all that that means, but I would grab hold of that and just like, you know, I'm on the Titanic and I got a life raft and I'm not letting go of this one. I am with God and He will not fail me. Amen? Some of you are here tonight. Maybe your marriage didn't make it for whatever reason. Maybe it was partly you, maybe it was partly your spouse, maybe it was all your spouse. But tonight, would you come to the Lord and say, God, you know what, I'm I'm talking about from today forward. God, would you forgive me if I had any part of that? Lord, if there's anything else I should have done and I didn't do it, show me that, Lord. I want to give that to you. But God, would you bring healing in my life? Would you help me to know how to move my life forward? Maybe you're here tonight and you're not married, or you are, but you need Christ as your Savior. Tonight, would you say, Jesus, I cannot do this life without you. I ask you to come into my life, to wash my sins away, and to be my Savior. Let's pray together as we think about what God's saying to each one of our hearts tonight. It's very difficult to make all the application tonight because there's so many different people so many different places so I'm just going to let God do that as we've hopefully shared His Word tonight if there's something you could grab hold of that would give you hope and encouragement and healing you hear God speaking to you and that you would respond to Him 
God, I see, I know my spouse, God, I need to pray for them, but I see some things that you're wanting to do in my heart. Please help me, God. Please forgive me. Teach me, Lord. I don't know how to do this. I don't want to do this sometimes. I don't have the power to do this. God, would you help me? you're a Christian tonight and you're not married but God's speaking to you about that growth about becoming more like Jesus there's some area of your life that you're not honoring Him would you say God your plan your will is for me to become more like your son God shape me into His image continue to grow me cleanse me of those things that aren't pleasing to you Lord help me to turn away from those if you're not in Christ tonight I can't make you these promises that have been made you tonight say, Jesus, I receive you. I receive your gift of salvation. I want to be in Christ tonight. Thank you for saving me. Father, I pray that your spirit would just minister to people all over this room tonight. That our lives might be changed and that you might be glorified through it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.